0: Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I just zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today's guest has been on the show before where he talked about branding Dope episode, and I'm going to put it in the show notes for you to check it out. But today, our guest is Dr. Imad Rahim. He's going to be talking about online learning and what's been going on, uh, particularly since COVID-19. He's in higher ed. I work in K through 12, and all of a sudden, both of our uh, parts of education found themselves online, and for many of them, for the first time. And, And if you're an educator, experiencing this, or you've been on Twitter, you've seen a lot of folks, again, in K-12 or higher ed, just freaking out, like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Uh, So we're going to talk about online learning, sort of the landscape, what's been going on, best practices, and where uh, online education may be going in the future. Uh, So for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Imad.
1: Hey Alaikum and uh, thank you for having me. My name is uh, Dr. Imad Rahim. I currently serve as the endowed chair and professor at Bellevue University. I've also was the former dean at the School of, uh, of Business over at Claremont Lincoln University, Australia University, and Colorado Technical University. But I've been in the online environment uh, for the past 10 years as a practitioner, um, but I've been an online student. Uh, Having earned both my doctorate, my graduate degrees, and, and undergraduate education from non-traditional institutions. So we're talking about, you know, almost 20 years of non-traditional experience combined.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is going to be one of those type of conversations today. Uh, so as I mentioned, you know, you work in higher ed. What drew you to the online learning environment? I get, much of it is is, is being uh,
1: in the right place at the right time, right? Mm. When, when I graduated from high school, I was already what you consider a non-traditional student because I was working full-time, right? I, I was the oldest, um, you know, in a family of four raised by a single mother. So I, I've, I've been working, you know, part multiple part-time jobs while in high school. So when I left high school, I got a full-time job and a part-time job and had to go to the local community college. So, I was a non traditional student right away because I couldn't go to a traditional campus based school full time. So, I'd take evening classes, weekend classes, right? Smaller groups. And I ended up tra- uh, transferring to uh, SUNY Empire State College, which was a state university focused um, on adult education. And it was the first, it wasn't online education yet. It was what we call distance learning, where they mail you you know cassette tapes textbooks and and syllabus right over you know by, by mail right mm-hmm. and then you 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 uh, you have a conversation over the conference calls or you meet at a coffee shop or whatever but it was always individualized It's small groups and so forth and where i struggled in the traditional online environment because i was trying to juggle family work obligation and i was also dyslexic on top of that um, and i did poorly in those environments but i accelerated in the non-traditional environment when everything was more personalized, everything was more individualized, um, everything was more, um, I wouldn't say hand-holding, but basically they meet you where you at, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and once I accelerated in distance learning education, um, I pursued my master's in online education, right? So I started um, you know, um, learning the different platforms, the different learning management systems, um, started looking at things related to attrition and retention, you know, for my thesis, and that kind of grew, right? So, so then I was like, you know what? Why pursue my doctorate traditionally when I'm doing so well as an online student? And I, so I pursued my uh, my doctorate in an online environment, and eventually I started teaching uh, and creating hybrid programs for universities that are trying to go online, that are trying to work with adult students, and that's kind of where it went. It went from being the student that accelerated and did very well online and as a non-traditional students to actually becoming a practitioner and teacher in the field.
0: Wow, wow. So I'm going to throw this out there before I ask you the next question. Being that you had both experiences, what, how was that adjustment for you going from that face-to-face to an online environment as a student?
1: It was it was kind of scary to begin with, um, especially if you're used to structure, right? So if you if you really need structure, if you're used to structure, you used to come to class at this time and the class ending that time, it could be um, it could be overwhelming, right? You 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 might uh, give yourself a little bit too much flexibility and miss deadlines, right? So you have to kind of create your own structure, your own calendars, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I had to do. I had to to kind of uh, readjust myself and, and, and make sure that I follow a, a regimen to make myself more disciplined. So just like having to go to a classroom, you know, for a set time, I would say I have to go to a, a coffee shop and spend at least two hours studying, reading and writing. Right. So you have to kind of create your own schedule and your own your own um, your own time frame and figure out what works best for you. Right. You may be a morning person. You may be an evening person. Right. So once I made that adjustment um, and, and identified the type of resources I need, right? um, the type of environment I work better in, right? uh, the type of uh, support network that, that best fits um, my learning style, then I accelerated. I, I think those are the critical pieces. Regardless of whether you're doing it online or in classroom, you need those, those resources. You need those people. You need to be in the right environment. You need to be in the right state of mind.
0: You, my first graduate course online. I learned quickly. I couldn't just chill because yeah, I yeah. got I got behind uh, that first week week or well, second week. I was like, "Oh no, you know I can't wait to be <laughs> to get, get in this work. I got to keep it moving." And once I learned that then it was an easier process for me. And, you know, as we talked about before we got on, it's not, even though I love it and you love it, it is not the best environment for everyone. Um, whether it's how you learn or just the sheer schedule of understanding, as you mentioned earlier, that life energy. Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? And understanding, you know, when you work best. And it took me, like I said, a couple of weeks and then after that, I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to go ahead and get this work done. And from there, I just I just excelled at it. And it was really an awesome experience that led me to even what I'm doing right now and the work that I want to continue to do in the future. Uh, so, you know, as we look at what happened on the past few months with K-12, through with higher ed, all of a sudden, core team hit universities. <laughs> Catholic schools shut them down and they're like okay we're gonna move this learning online where do you see online learning going in the future particularly as we look to a world post-pandemic i
1: i think i think one traditional
0: schools both public
1: schools private schools universities and also a k through 12 they're going to take online education more serious right they, they, they're gonna hopefully they learn from this mistake right and see an opportunity, right? And see an opportunity to invest uh, more money, more resources in hiring technology people on staff to train your your faculty, you know, to train your staff just in case something like this happens, right? Mm -hmm. Or to provide alternative education for those students that are non-traditional, right? The students that are non-traditional, whether they are a non-traditional student that, that is a working adult, right? Or a non-traditional student that is in special education, right? That that needs more individualized attention. Uh, that, that is struggling with ADHD and and they can't be in the classroom, right? And they struggle in the classroom, but they could sit there and have and learn through a way of a simulation game, right? They 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 their brain just works differently, right? Someone that is dyslexic, right, may may do better, um, you know, learning in a hybrid environment right, where things are more visual, things are more kinesthetic in regards to what is being presented. So hopefully, schools, you know, will, will invest more. And, and, and I want to also point out that it, it can be an expensive investment. So we need our states, we need our mm-hmm. cities, right, to also give uh, the schools the resources that are needed. Because when we talk about the level of investment, it could be millions of dollars, right? Because, you know, a school district, um you know that's an inner city school district it's not just buying a few uh passwords to get onto blackboard right you have to actually build an infrastructure and have the talent ready in case it happens again or in case a population of 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 families will tell you they don't want their kids to come back right now they're still worried they're still unsure there's still a lot of uncertainties so they'd rather keep their kids online so what do you do in that situation Right. Um, then you have the college environment. Not every university has a big endowment. Right. You have a lot of community colleges that would benefit and, with an online program so they can pull students that are not local. Right. They can pull students from different states, from different cities, even different countries that would benefit from a community college experience. Um, and then and then also we know going forward that the student population will look very different going forward. Right. I mean, when you look at the forecasting of, the, um, of admissions, of the application of, of, of students that, that have uh, agreed to come back, it has dropped significantly at these universities. So what do you do with those students? Do you try to uh, accommodate them by providing them an online experience, by providing them a distance learning option? Um, or, or do you say, take a break for a semester right, and come back the next semester? Or well, what if they don't come back the next semester? Right, so, they, so I think we have to look at online education as not as this, you know, disruption, right, that, that it's dangerous, that it's, uh, that it's not as high quality as in-classroom, uh, you know, options, um, but as something that is a necessity going forward.
0: Hmm. So we know that most teachers have been taught how to teach or train or to deliver instruction via the traditional face-to-face model what happens when the teaching moves online how's how does that shift what does that shift look like
1: well i first off it doesn't have to look at it doesn't have to look what we think it looks like right what i'm saying is that we have stereotypes Right, we have, we have labeling, uh, we have stigmas, right? So if you have all these ideas of what it should be, then you already create boundaries, right? Um, I, I've been in amazing online classrooms where the interaction is probably better in class, in my opinion, just because, um, you know, you have students that are, very, that are introverts, right? And they wouldn't normally ask a question in class, right? They're, they're, they're embarrassed, they're shy but an online environment you can make it where people feel like i could actually engage and not be judged right you can make it live it doesn't have to be just i post my assignments and you submit your assignments and that's it right and and just like what you're doing here you can you can include podcasts you can include wikis you can include live chat sessions live lectures you could you could create your own content right so you actually can create a robust learning environment Right. Um, think of, you know, think of Khan Academies, where you have these 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 amazing presentations that that include animation, uh, but also live uh, presentation and, and they have a mixture. You have polls, all these things. Um, so there's a lot of options. Um, we just have to take those boundaries um, away uh, so we can actually see those opportunities and see those options and, and how they exist. And then and then actually use your creativity, right, to create innovation and figure mm-hmm. out what well. You know, most of my students are on social media, right? They, 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 so how, so they might be on Facebook. They might be on TikTok. So how do I integrate all these other learning platforms, right, all of these social media tools into an online environment so students can get the best out of everything, right? Something I couldn't do in class. Um, but, at, but at the same time, we know that some students don't do well online, right? We know that some subjects actually are better taught in classrooms. Right, I, like for example, I'm dyslexic, and I struggle with algebra. I struggle, I struggle when you when you, so I struggle with words already. So when you put words and numbers together, you know that was like that's a foreign language that I didn't speak. So mm. I, I couldn't learn that online. Right, I had to be in a small classroom environment. So we have to find a balance. I think teachers need to know that they shouldn't fear online education. It's not going to take their jobs. Right? There's always going to be uh, students that want in class. There's always going to be programs and subject matters that benefit when it's in class. Right? They should see it as an opportunity right, to do something different, to do something extra, to do something more creative.
0: Yeah, and I have spent these past six weeks working with all of our teachers on a regular basis about what are things going to look like differently? And as you mentioned earlier, that they can meet with students via video conferencing. And so we've we we talked about how do you use that for direct instruction direct instruction with students to be able to connect with them, to build a sense of community, to keep them engaged and to keep you present. You know, because what happens with a lot of online programs, programs, particularly what we find in higher ed is it is video, PDF, video, PDF discussion, and you have your assignments, your uh, papers to do, and very little engagement and presence from the professor. And then the students, beyond the sort of answering a, a, a question and responding to other students, there's very little communication and engagement on that level. Uh, with them. You know, my best experience was my doctoral program because we were in a cohort. So every quarter we were together, the same folks all the time. And so we built that camaraderie. Then because of the level of degree that work was, we started calling each other. Hey, hey, what are you doing for this? I'm doing for this. What are your thoughts? But normally you feel isolated. You feel alone uh, because of if there is that engagement built in, your professor isn't present, and they're not really engaging you and, and asking you and 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 keeping you, you know, not only intellectually engaged, but emotionally engaged to where, when you kind of feel like, well, I don't know if I want to get on a computer today, that you do it anyway, because you're excited about what you may see, what you may get to do. I bring it up to ask you, what is the learning curve for that teacher to go digital? <clears throat> Especially if this teacher, has so many years, decades of experience of just sitting up in front of a class lecturing, and now all of a sudden they have to take that to an online environment in which we know you can't teach the same way. And that's the first thing people think is the same way I taught there, I'm going to teach in this online environment. And what are some of the missteps you've seen?
1: The missteps, exactly what would you describe is, is faculty that just take their syllabus or take their, their, their course description and put it online. That's it, right? And they expect kind of students just to go by this plan that they, that they put out there. Um, and they have some dates, right? They have some deadlines and that's pretty much it, right? That, that, that is not what you offered in class. So why do you think it's gonna be successful online, right? I mean, you're, you're the main piece, you're the lecture. So how do you give lectures online? That's what you should be thinking about. How do I give the same experience that that students get in my classroom online? Don't think that, you know, don't don't tell yourself that there's no way they're gonna get that same experience. You have control over that. So you have to say, what should I do? What do I need to do? What can I do to provide the same level of quality education online that my students would normally get, you know, in, in the lecture hall, right? And then by asking you those same questions, you can say, okay, now let's look at the tools that exist, right? We could zoom. I could zoom a lecture. Right. And and I can actually, I could still actually be on a university environment. So you can actually, I, I have professors that, that still go on campus so they can record themselves in the classroom. So students can still feel like they're in the classroom. Uh. Right. And And then at the same time, they they provide a live audio chat so that way students can actually still chat while the, you know you can still see students hands being raised while you while you're providing your live chat session so mm-hmm. students still feel like they can face to face time uh, live interaction but the benefit of it is if i'm working that day or if or if my um, schedule is just packed that chat session was recorded so i can mm-hmm. go back and watch you i can slow it down right but here's the one thing that 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 uh you know that you can do online that you couldn't do um in the classroom is that you can create you know more audio, um audio, uh kinesthetic, polls, all these things, all these tools that exist. So while you are pre- while you're providing that lecture that's being recorded, all these tools exist, mm. right? All you know, all these tabs can 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 be utilized where students can say, well, Professor said this i don't understand what um what procurement management is right and then instead of instead of raising your hand and waiting for the lecture to end half an hour from now, right students can actually you know click on a tab and see the definition of procurement and see all these notes right so everything is all in one place
0: So what do you think of those uh, like some universities have uh, I get, like a theater where the professor is sort of like here in the middle of the room and all, the, all around them, they have these monitors where students are, the The professor can see the kid, see the I don't like kids, but see the students on, on the monitors and they can see and hear each other. And the professor just kind of in this room by themselves, kind of talking, creating that sort of experience. What, what do you, uh, Think about those experiences versus let's just say you know one person one screen I,
1: I i think it depends on 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 the experience you're trying to to provide right you, you have and also every student is different right so you have mm-hmm. some students that can care less about all that stuff right they, they they only care about the information that is being shared they don't really care about how it's being delivered right uh, and then you have other students that are kinesthetic. They want that visual. They they want to be entertained, right? And and then that's I think that's the struggle as an educator. It's like, how do you find the balance? You know, how do you find the balance where where you provide them the information that is needed, but in a delivery where you keep them engaged, right? And and I, I think more so we 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 we're trying to find that balance. You know, it's 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 a it's, it's this conflict that exists in, in not just higher education, but in traditional education when we have more, more, um, more young people in public schools that, you know, that are spending more of their time on video games, right? More of their time on TV. They're not outside, like, like during our generation, when we were outside playing, you know, playing at the park and playing with our friends, they're not doing that anymore. So they, they are overstimulated right? So when they get in the classroom, they're kind of off the wall because they're, they're overstimulated and and then teachers, you know, professors, uh, we're all trying to figure out, well, how do we balance this? How do we keep their attention in the classroom, but also in a way where I'm still teaching the subject and also making sure that what how I'm teaching them is realistic and relevant so that way they can pass the test, you right, when, when it's needed. So it's it's that it's that give and take that we're always trying to find this common denominator. And I don't think there's an ant, there's a, you know, one answer that, that, that will benefit everyone. Uh, we as educators have to figure out what, you know, what, what makes sense for us, what works better for us and, and what works for us today for this student population may be totally different in the next semester.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so how does a, an educator begin the process of actually designing an online course, particularly when you're looking at different sort of ways students may interact with with the material. So if I'm a student where I'm younger, so I may not have a laptop or desktop, but I have an iPad. So my experience will be different with how I interact with the material than it will be on a laptop. So how does a professor begin the process of not when they're designing an online course coming from that traditional space, but understanding in doing so, make it so that students who are in that mobile environment have not not the same experience, but are able to engage in their material in a way that is best for them as well?
1: I think first is you have to create a foundation. Right. You have to create a foundation and that foundation is kind of laying the blueprint of of everyone will get this. Right. Everyone will get this. Um, and, and then 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 we know that, you know, well, after we lay the blueprint and we start putting together our curriculum, you know, the curriculum needs to cover these learning objectives. Right. It needs to make sure it covers this subject matter, make sure that students get this at the end. We need to have a measurable assessment. Right. Um, um, so once you have all those in place, and then you kind of put a time frame from beginning to end, right? The type of assignments that are needed to that 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 students need to complete, the type of materials that need to go in that online environment. Now we have to look at how will it be delivered, right? And and then we can say, okay, looking at our student population, let's say fifteen uh, percent of our student population will not have a mobile device. Right, and and we know that's happening now. You know, there are students that don't have laptops, right? Um, you know, but we know that a larger percentage of our students may have, right? So we focus so right now. We build the infrastructure so at least when it comes to those students who do have laptops that exists, right? And then we may have to do the we have to go the extra mile for those students that don't have those resources, right? Whether it's calling them by phone, right? Whether it's 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 uh you know it's stopping by and then providing them additional support and resources. But you have to kind of break those percentages down and figure out what works for different students. And those students that may have a tablet and can't really type because they you know, because they don't have the, 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 the ability to do so for whatever reason or, they, or they're using their mother's phone, right, um, you want to recognize that and figure out, well, how do I make sure they get the same level of resources, the same level of support. I mean, how do they, how, how do I allow them to submit the assignments? Um, you know, especially like an essay assignment uh, by way of tablet, by way of mobile, right? So once you kind of look at the majority, you start funneling what needs to happen for those students that, or the minorities that don't have the, the access to those things and try to figure out what resources and tools that I put in place at the back end.
0: Hmm. So if you will, walk us through how Educators can use multimedia simulations, animation, as well as social media to create a multi-level learning experiences for students because you're not talking about, I'm just going to lecture. And if you just go PDF video, they're gonna be very passive in the learning experience and most of them won't complete it.
1: Yes, so you you can break it down. So what I, what I did, uh, so I taught a, uh at a state school a few years ago. Um, it's Morrisville State College, located in the middle of nowhere. Um, but the majority of my students were actually New York City students. These are students from the Bronx, you know, from Queens. Um, and they ended up in upstate New York. And, and, and during the winter times, even though, you know, the, even though the campus does a good job in making sure the sidewalks are, are clear, these students didn't wanna come out, right? So at seven o'clock in the morning class, when it's like negative 10, Outside, um, you know, it's, it's a blizzard. I mean, I drove an hour to get to my classroom, but they won't walk. You know, 20 minutes to get to the classroom. Um, so what I did was I took a poll, and and, and see to see how many students were on Facebook, how many students were using Twitter, how many, you know, and then and then say what's your comfort level in integrating that into the class, All right? Once I got the poll, I said, okay, let's. I'm going to create a, a a Facebook page for this classroom, and I'm going to invite you. So they got all invited in, right? So everything that I shared in the classroom, I shared online, but it was on it was in a space that they were used to, that they were comfortable with. Right. And then we did, you know, we did live, we we did uh, live Facebook chats, right? We 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 created kind of like 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 instant messaging chats and things like that. But then there were times when it was like evenings where, where um where there were things that they wanted to go into into deeper conversations, but I know that the students didn't have the, um, the attention span, right? Especially, especially we're talking about 8 p.m., 9 p.m. at night, right? Um, because sometimes when it comes to business subjects, things are happening in the evening too. So I might be talking about, you know, something happening, uh, with Amazon, uh, in the morning and then it changes at 8 p.m. because, you know, um, because the CEO got into a fight with the, board, with, with, the, with the board president, right? So I can go on Twitter now. I can go on Twitter and create a group Twitter and create a Twitter chat between my students and go back and forth, right? And then based on the level of interaction, I can actually both quantify and qualify their level of engagement, right? The quality of work they, they, are, they are putting into the class. I can also create podcasts and then, then actually see how many clicks I get from each student how long they actually um, actually listen to the podcast. I can create assignments around the podcast and say, okay, after listening to the podcast on Tuesday, can you summarize and reflect on the discussion topic in a few paragraphs, right? So it can go on and on, and you can integrate so many things. It doesn't have to be a traditional learning management system. You can integrate, and I mean, I, I have a, a, a colleague that uses TikTok to teach science. Right. So he's so he's creating these these snippets. I mean, we're talking about like two-minute bites where he's being silly, but he's teaching some real amazing stuff about science and students are loving it. Right. And that's something he probably couldn't do in an in-class environment.
0: So as more educators and more colleges and universities, right, start teaching online, universities start offering degrees and courses online what sort of trainings will educators need to be more effective at navigating that space
1: i, I think one is that you you before you before you pursue these uh, learning opportunities you have to figure out what's your comfort level right uh what learning management system um best suits you because it's almost like a personality it's almost like clothing to me mm. right uh there, there are a lot of of technology out there. You have to figure out what technology suits your personality, right? What, what, what allows you to build something that resembles what you wanna learn if you were a student, right? And then figure out, okay, what type of organizations, what type of institutes, what type of laboratories, what type of clinics, all these things um, that exist that can provide that learning experience. Just like as an educator, we go to academic conferences You know, annually. Some of us go to four or five each year for professional development. It's the same thing when it comes to being an online educator, right? There are tons of conferences. There are tons of magazines. There's tons of of podcasts and things like that um, that you can utilize, but there's also certifications and licenses that you can utilize, uh, that you can earn, that help you become a better professor. Um, But most importantly, you yourself have to practice, 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 and know that it's evolving right uh how i teach last year has to be different how i teach this year right what my classroom looked like two years ago needs to look totally different you know two years going forward right um like i I teach project management for uh for bellevue university and all of my courses are project-based right i i don't have competency-based Curriculum. I don't have adaptive learning software integrated. I don't. don't, I I don't use case studies in a sense. As as a project management program, a lot of my students wanted to experience what it's like managing a project. Mm. Right. So we created simulations. uh, We we created business scenarios. So instead of saying read this textbook this week, we say go through the simulation and, and solve this problem as a project manager. Right. And then sometimes it's they have to create a presentation. Sometimes they're creating a project plan. Sometimes they they, they, they uh, have to create a, a request for proposal. Right. So they're actually creating real documents that they can utilize in the work environment or they actually documents they have already created and they are sharing and modifying in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Right. So it really depends on the learning environment that you're trying to deliver the industry that your students are in. Uh, the space that you are working in—whether it's public school, whether it's private school, whether it's for-profit school.
0: So now I want to talk to you about sort of the pivot that may need to happen. Um, there's this podcast called uh, "The Future You," uh, hosted by Michael Horn, and it's—they bring in a lot of university. Uh, professors, VPs, uh, some people work for uh, OPMs, and it's really talking about how, how does higher ed look like now? What is it going to look like in the future, particularly when we're talking about this online environment, and some universities needing to make that shift because the traditional model that they currently have isn't drawing in students, so they're bleeding money, or they have degree programs that are archaic in nature. so they may o- offer degrees in art, you know, uh, archaeology, which, for some people, a small population of people, that's a dope major. But when you're saying we're trying to create this, this mass level of education, you're not going to have that many students to come in, quite honestly, to pay enough tuition to keep the lights on when people are looking to make that pivot because they need to, from that entrepreneurial perspective, what should they be thinking of so that I understand that their underlying reasons of doing this may be, we're dying and we gotta find a way to survive, but do so in a way so that, that so that you are not undermining your first purpose of educating your students. Now, I, I
1: think that's a question that a lot of universities and institutions are asking right now. Uh, I, I think there's going to be schools that are not going to survive, right? After uh, the COVID situation kind of dies down, right? They're gonna they're gonna try to. Uh, I mean, they were already on life support, right? We know that there are a lot of, to be honest, there are a lot of liberal arts schools that are based in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, that have that saw their endowment drop uh, from the previous recession, so their their endowment was was struggling from the previous recession, and now it's going to be destroyed going forward, right? The, um, there there are there are institutions that you know that have saw student retention and admission rates you know, deteriorate every single year, right? We, we also know historically black colleges, a lot of them struggle. A lot of them have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. So you add COVID on top of that. I think I think there's going to be a, a, a significant percentage of institutions that are not going to come back or they have to reinvent themselves or they're going to have to merge, right? We know a lot of universities have been bought out, um, not just, and, I, and when I say bought-out, it's not for-profit universities. Sometimes people think the word bought. There's a lot of state schools. There are a lot of traditional, even top universities like Thunderbird. Thunderbird Business School was, a, was the number one international business school in the world. And they were struggling. They had to be merged with Arizona State University, right? So a state school bought a huge private university, right? Uh, Purdue. Purdue. Bought Kaplan University, a for-profit school, right? So schools are reinventing themselves and changing all the time. It's just how how agile, how nimble can they do, and, and are they willing to be agile and nimble when you have uh, institutions that are too traditional, right? Um, so I think that's that's the 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 conversation that's going to happen that needs to happen um, when it comes to universities making that pivot. They have to figure out. What, what is their brand and how do they market their brand, keep their brand, in a, you know, f- for a larger audience? And, 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 or if they want to keep their brand, is their br- does their brand still make sense, right? Um, you know, for example, I work for Southern New Hampshire University. Everybody knows Southern New Hampshire University now. But I can tell you 10 years ago, Southern New Hampshire was this tiny, tiny school that no one knew. It was, mm-hmm. it was you know, it was, it was a few hundred students in, in the middle of nowhere. But what they did was they said, you know what? All, everybody wants an NBA program. You know, everybody wants, you know, the NBA sells. It's a strong brand. We're, we, we're not a for-profit school, so we're going to focus on being a non-profit school. We're going to show pictures of our campus, right? So when they rolled things out, they didn't say, we're going to roll out all of our degree programs. We're going to roll out one degree program, right? We're going to roll out the NBA. And there was not a top-ranking NBA, Right. It's not an NBA that beat Syracuse University or Cornell, you know, or Columbia. It's not it was it was, you know, it, not to say that it was a low ranking uh, uh, NBA, but it was really not even on the ranks. <laughs> right. But they, they, they sold a strong brand tied to it and they made it affordable and they made it online. Right? So I think that's what's going to happen is that universities are going to have to look at their programs and say, listen, there, there are programs that do very well. And maybe do even better if it's online. There are programs that are struggling, and maybe it's time that we teach them out, right? They mm-hmm. they cost too much money. Um, they they are not gaining any traction. Right? There, there are programs that are small, but it's small because your student population in the you know in the city or in the town is small. But it could create significant. Uh, you know, all I for you, like a revenue of return, if you make it online, right? So just because a, a program is struggling at your institution uh, on campus doesn't mean that it won't, you know, you know, that it won't be successful if it goes online, right? Uh, they have to figure out, well, what is our capacity, right? Do we have enough experts to teach it? Do we have the infrastructure to deliver it, right? Do we have marketing? It's just, it's not not the type of, of thing where if you build it, they will come. You have to figure out how do we allocate marketing dollars to make sure that people know about it, that people will come. And, and also the important piece is what type of articulation agreements, you know, partnerships we need to create. So where community college will market our four year program, um, where where master programs can be transferred into doctoral programs, right? So you have to be creative from from that lens um, there's a college called Puka College in Upstate, and what you know, they are also a small liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere. Um, but they have grown significantly, not because of online. It's because they partnered with community colleges, and they're delivering the last two years on a community college campus. So what mm-hmm. they did was they said, you know what, we're going to partner with community colleges and say you complete your two-year your two-year degree there. And then stay on that campus and complete the last two years of our bachelor's programs there. So you don't have to leave your town. You don't have to leave your city. You don't have to leave your campus. We're going to be there for you, right? So they, they reinvented themselves. They redesigned themselves. So there's a lot of things that can happen, but the institution needs to have these hard conversations. Faculty need to get on board. And presidents need to figure out, um, you know, what is the best step? What is the best, to, you know, what are the best tools? Uh, what is the best strategy in moving the university forward in the right way, in the right manner, in the right time frame?
0: Mm-hmm. And as I'm seeing that, this is one of the reasons why, when I talk to the teachers I work with in K twelve, or people I come across on Twitter, it's telling that them you know, as this higher ed landscape is changing. There will be changes in K through 12, but also these students in K through 12 need to be prepared for that changing landscape. You know, about eight months ago, uh, Boston University announced they were coming out with an online, 24,000 online MBA. I'm like, what? An Ivy League school said, we're getting in this online game. And we're going to charge 24,000 for an NBA. That is unheard of. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that going, I said, the dominoes from this, from this announcement is going to reverberate around higher ed because this is a game changer right here. And, and not to mention university of Illinois, uh, Carnegie uh, Mellon got some good stuff going on. And I'm like, when these schools do that, we're not talking about schools that people kind of laugh at and go, oh, that's university. We're talking about these major players. So when they start changing, everybody else better get ready because yeah. they have yeah. no choice at this point. Like this train is coming. And I don't see where it is going to stop. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, you know, at the same time, the, uh, what, what happens with those schools is that they, they, they focus too much on their brand right and not the student experience because that happens too there there were a lot of universities that went online very established uh strong brand universities that went online to compete against the university of phoenix to compete against the bride and within two years they closed because they didn't provide the same level of services so students were like that's amazing i would love to get an nba from syracuse university for twenty thousand dollars that's that's a no-brainer for me then they get online and the assignments were, were garbage right professors didn't call them back um they had a lot of technology issues and then retention was bad and all of a sudden all of these students that enrolled dropped out left and right each semester it, you know it happened to Moodle right Moodle was like this huge thing every university started offering uh, their courses online and they created these certificate programs. They created uh, articulation agreements where students can complete a Moodle class and it could convert into credits for a school and all this stuff. And it, it made news. It was all over the place, right? People were excited. Everyone's buying into it. Where's Moodle now, right? People jump shipped, They were not getting the same level of experience, right? So I think that's the important piece that the, the brand is important because the brand will sell you. People are like, oh, that's Boston College. That's UMass, right? They, that there's no, there's no way you can question that credibility, that, that legacy, that pedigree, right? It's like Rutgers, like Rutgers University offers NBA, people know about it. But if the NBA experience is bad, people will also let you know about it. And then, then all of a sudden, your credibility is, is down the tube. Um, Syracuse University announced last year that they're offering a law degree fully online. Right? So now everyone's like, wow, you can get a law degree fully online? Right? What's that going to look like? What does that do for law schools? Well, that's it's a great opportunity, right? It's it's a it's a it's a very innovative thing to do, especially for Syracuse University. But what I what I try to to point out is, I love these type of things, but you're going to have to look at the percentages of not just graduation, but how many of those students going to pass the bar exam. Right? That's going to that's what people are going to look at. Right? And that's that's key. So what tools, what resources are we going to put in place? To make sure that when students complete this degree program that is online, that the industry respects it, right? So that the industry says, you know what? Every student that graduated from this law program, passed the bar exam. It's actually a higher percentage those students that went online. I mean, that went on campus, right? And they know the same stuff, right? High-caliber education and so forth. That's 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 when you know that's when we know we're doing the right thing, right? When a student completes an accounting degree online. And they can pass the CPA as if they were on campus.
0: That's all right. That's all right. I'm very, I'm just very excited about. It. I'm very excited because I love it. I love what you can do. And you know, even you know, you are thousands of miles away, and we're able to connect this way. That when I talk to our teachers about how you're teaching this class, you can bring in an expert to talk to your students from anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, and can actually reframe what you're doing in your classroom in terms of, this is how this works in the real world, or how you can use this in the real world. So they have a different understanding or mindset of why am I taking this class? When someone can come in and say, you know, I've brought in an engineer from Facebook. And when he's talking about, well, how are we using math at Facebook? Now kids are saying, oh, okay, all, might, that might be a little something to this math as opposed to I'm just taking this course because i telling tell me to take it. Exactly. Uh, and so that's where I love where the technology can go. Uh, before we go, what, is, what do you say to those educators who th- are thinking that the online classroom isn't as rigorous? It, isn't, it doesn't provide the same sort of quality of education? It's a gimmick. Uh, it's something just for the for profits and not for those institutions that have, you know, centuries-old pedigree of face-to-face instruction. I, I
1: always go back to the faculty, right? It's 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 what you deliver. It's what you provide, right? Uh, you know, all of us seem to respect seems to respect TED Talk. Right? TED Talk, if unless you're there live, which a lot of us are not, we're watching it on YouTube. Right, we're not we're not giving it less, you know, uh, uh, less support and and less credibility. We look at the delivery. We look at who's the living and how they're living. It's the same thing when it comes to online education. It's the professor, right? If if someone like Michael Porter, like Professor Michael Porter, who teaches you know marketing at NYU at Columbia, right, and and everyone uses his textbook, if he's teaching online and 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 creating an amazing experience, then and that shows you that, that he's giving it that level of support and that level of rigor, right? So it depends on you. It depends on you as an educator um, and, and how you want to provide that same level of experience. And like I said, there, there are subjects that may not do well online, but you learn from it, right? And you're saying, you know what? This is something that, do, that does better in class, and these are the reasons why, right? So you have to figure out, you know, what is the common denominator when it comes to online education? What is good? What is bad? You know, what do I, you know, you know, what can I offer and what, what can I offer and, and, and what t- tools and the techniques are going to be, make, makes me more successful, um, teaching an online environment.
0: All right. Doc you laid it out today. I did my best, man. The hip hop NBA people. <laughs> man, y'all, y'all need to go back and read his writings. Uh, he has some dope writings. Uh, and, and the language he uses and, and his comparisons. I mean, my gosh, man, uh, I'm going to have to put that in the show notes. Some of your, some, of your, some links to your writing. So people go check that out. Cause you know, that's how I first, uh, you came up with my LinkedIn somehow. And then I'm looking at, it, I'm like, what? I said, Oh, this is nice. And it, it made me think about, you know, branding or whatever business concept we write about in a different way. It wasn't uh, that old traditional sort of Wall Street McKinsey, you know, type writing where some of that stuff, you really got to be zoned in to to digest it because some of that stuff is just, you know, it's dry. Uh, And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. So... I'm going to put it in there because I, I like it. And the way you explained today, it was just real dope. Uh, one of these days, I might take try to take one of your classes, but I'm a little classed out right now. I <laughs> don't blame you. <laughs> i look classed out. Uh, but thank you for coming uh, on the show and dropping so many gems. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe. I need you to follow. I need you to share. The stars are great, but if you don't mind leaving a comment or a review, that would be awesome. I'm trying to be found, and I'm also trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Ahmad Rahim, for coming on, and I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.